is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello there, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is the Talking Dead podcast number 419 for Tuesday, February the 26th, 2019. Welcome to the program, everybody. And Jason, it's your birthday today. It is my birthday today. It was uh, weird. I almost forgot until you said February 26th. I'm like, hey, that's my birthday. Well, I mean, I, unlike most people, you don't sit there every minute of the day thinking, man, it's my birthday. It's my birthday. This is the greatest day of, of the year. It's my birthday. Uh, not every minute. No. No, but some of them, I guess. Well, happy yeah. birthday. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure everyone extends you a happy birthday. Are you doing anything special this weekend or today, later tonight, tomorrow morning, anything like that for your birthday? Well, my wife gave me the best birthday present that uh, a wife could possibly give. A man on her birthday, on whoa, his birthday. Whoa, I don't know if we need to hear about this. Well, there's Lego, of course. Oh. I got a, I got a, a car set of Lego, Speed Champions, and uh, I'm going to build it tonight, I think. All right. After well, the podcast, I'm going to, you know, I got a nice cup of coffee. I'm going to build the Lego and have it all ready for display and everybody to look at in the morning. It was from my wife and my son. They both kind of went together. My son really, really wanted to play with it. Like, oh, let's open that box and play with those cars. Well, I mean, you could build it with him. He's too young. No, he's not. Not to be supervised building it. Uh, okay. He's too... Uh, yeah, it would not I, be right. It wouldn't work. I know him personally, and it would not work out well. I think what you're trying to say is this is my Lego, not his. No, it's that he would probably break down into some kind of uh, crying and uh, angry, upset, confused uh, kind of state. Because the toys are too small and he didn't want to put them together. He would just want to break them apart into little pieces and then probably eat some. It just, it just would not go well. Well, it, I, more, we're more likely to play with Duplo. That was fine because we actually did a switcheroo. I gave him a Duplo set and said, let's open this one instead. Oh. It was, uh, from, it was a set that I got from the, the, uh, the planes movie. Mm-hmm. They were like the cars movies, but planes. So I bought some sets of those. Uh, they don't make them anymore, but I bought them, you know, from Bricklink. Mm-hmm. And so I gave him a set and that was, it worked out well. Well, that's good. At least you're thinking of his feelings and not just your own on your birthday. That's right. That's good. Well, you're another year older, but you're here podcasting. That's good. I yep. thought uh, maybe we'd have to change the show, but no, podcasting comes first. Well, it's my birthday. I can podcast if I want to. <laughs> good, good. I like that. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, we are here to do a podcast, of course, and we are here to talk about the latest episode of The Walking Dead. That would be season nine, episode 11. So without further ado, I think we should get right into it. Oh, there's a bounty. Just the best chocolate in the world. Bounty. Okay, so that was uh, Daniel on the internet and Lee in St. Catharines reading the title for us. The title is, of course, Bounty, the best yeah. chocolate in the world. I didn't uh, equate the title of this episode with the chocolate, but I, I tend to agree. Uh, when given a choice of a chocolate bar to buy, I will buy a Bounty, is and that, I will eat them. Is that the coconut one? It is coconut. All right. I, I, I wasn't sure, but... I think I've had one. It's been some time, though, a long, many years. Yeah. The only way a Bounty chocolate bar could be better is if it was pink. Why? Coconut's white. I don't white. know. I like pink foods. Anything that's pink, 
I'm into. Cream soda, those stupid log things with coconut on the outside. Those are pink. The pink wafer cookies. Uh, strawberry ice cream. Uh, Shirley, Shirley Temple uh, ice cream. <laughs> Not Shirley Temple. What do you call it? Uh, strawberry shortcake. Strawberry shortcake. That stuff. I love, I love that stuff. Any food that is pink, I'm on board. All right. Well, that's weird, but. It is a little weird, but it's who I am. I don't see why not. Uh, Pink grapefruit. Oh. Uh, Okay. You (laughs) caught me. I fucking hate grapefruit. Yeah. And you know that. I did. (laughs) It just came to me. Uh, Anyways. So you You like my whole life. Now I have to restructure everything. Oh, crap. Sorry, man. Wait till after the show to do it. Okay. Um, so Bounty is season nine, episode 11. Thanks you guys for the title reads. If you would like to have a title read or, you know, do a title read and get it played on the air, just, uh, look up the episode, the name of an upcoming episode, record it and, uh, email it into us. We will, would very much appreciate that. So we start this episode, Jason, in a flashback. This is the, uh, one of those flashback thingies we've been you know, talking about a little bit over the past few weeks and how Mm -hmm. Angela Kang said there might be some. So we start here in a flashback. We're with Ezekiel, Carol, and Jerry in the woods, a few characters we haven't seen in a little while. And Jerry breaks the news to them that his partner, Nabila, is pregnant. Yay! He says she's bunned up and on the pole. Now, I can see how bunned up works because, you know, there's... People say you have a bun in the oven. That that makes sense. But what does up the pole mean regarding pregnancy? Well, uh, I think it might be British. I think there's up the spout, which is, uh, or on the pole or up the pole. I think these are British terms and who knows what they're thinking when they come up with uh, euphemisms for things. Okay. Well, if anyone out there can explain that to me, I mean, I'm sure I could look it up, but I did not. I like to rely on the listeners instead, but up the pole apparently means pregnant, at least to Jerry. Uh, so let us know. Um, and then they, you know, they're all happy about that. And there's a funny sequence involving some gum where Jerry takes it out of his mouth and then gives King Ezekiel a hug and the gum is stuck on his back and, you know, a little lighthearted moment there to start off this episode. Yeah, it was good. I didn't know it was a flashback at first, right? Obviously. But, uh, then Carol's hair was only half long and I didn't know where she cut it. You know, if, was it, was it half full or half empty, right? It's hard to tell mm-hmm. when uh, when it's halfway. Is it is it half cut or half grown out? And in this case, it was half grown out. That's right. It was half grown out. That was, I mean, that was the main um, clue here to what time frame we were in. But I can understand. You don't know if it's recently been cut or recently been growing. So yeah, it's like I've I've also uh, you know the the, uh, the phrase is it half empty or half full? Yes, I've I've solved that. Have you? Now? It de- it's depends. It depends on what you're doing at the time. Uh-huh. If you're drinking something. It's half empty. If you're filling up the cup and you stop, it's half full. It all, it's all a matter of what was just happening to that cup of liquid. It seems so clear now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of the mysteries of life, Jason, that you've solved. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I've solved it. It all depends on, it's, it depends on intent. Absolutely. All right. Well, put that to bed because I'm not going to have to worry about that anymore. I like that. <laughs> yeah, good. I know you, you sit up at night thinking about that stuff. Oh, I sit up at night thinking about a lot of things. That is one less thing now, so that's great. Like, what does up the pole mean? <laughs> well, exactly. I don't know, <laughs> but I'm, I feel like I'm about to find out. Anyhow, Tara and Jesus ride up. So Jesus, this is another hint that this is a flashback. Yeah, that one, uh, that was a clincher. I was like, okay, is it 
you know, is it, is it getting shorter or is it just in the process of getting longer? Then Jesus shows up and I'm like, well, does Jesus come back from the dead or is this before he died? Yeah. And, uh, I assume we know it's before he died. Yes, it is. So they ride up, they get some medicine from them. And apparently there was some kind of illness uh, at Hilltop that they needed this to treat. Tara admits that she's left Alexandria or she's at least not going back. So this is the point at which Tara makes the transition over to Hilltop and she brought a present for them, which is this big printed out charter that Michonne has written. We, we saw Michonne starting that back earlier in the season, right? Well, at this point, the whole thing is written out on a big poster sized piece of paper. And I guess Michonne doesn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. So Tara's brought it to let Ezekiel hang on to it for now. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, did you get a chance to read it? Um, I did, uh, not all of it, but I do have a couple of quotes here, at least from the beginning and, uh, I'll, I'll read them and I don't know if you have any more, but the headline was the multi-community charter of rights and freedoms. And then the first paragraph starts with, um, person who would live any person who would live in peace and fairness, who would find common ground. This world is yours by right. We stand together for life, not death in the new world together we make this world bigger. And if you're paying attention, I'm pretty sure those are Rick's words from the moment he defeated Negan. Right. So they, they used Rick's words to, to open their charter. Now there's a lot, lot more to it. Um, but I did not take the time to, uh, transcribe the whole thing. Yeah, I did not at all. I don't have any, uh, anything other than the freeze frame I've got right now. Okay. But, uh, no, I was just wondering if you did. Because I'd be interested to hear that. Well, it's out there. Um, you know, the text of it, it, it is out there online, so you can find it if you want. Uh, and, and you know, I might dig that up and take a read through it, but it's mostly legal mumbo jumbo. You know, I figure just yeah. agreements between communities and the, the rule of law and stuff like that. But yeah, if you like that kind of thing, go and uh, look it up. Yeah, exactly. So the, the question I have is that if movies tell me anything, and they do, that before they actually, uh, after they sign this, but before they encase it in, t- in any kind of uh, permanent installation, they obviously have to draw a treasure map on the back, right? Well, if I've learned anything from movies, as you said, then there has to be something secret on the back. Yeah, that's right. Okay. But that's, what, that's what I think. So I think somebody should draw a map on the back uh, to a treasure. Of some kind. Perfect. All right. We'll have to see where that goes. Because if some they did kind of national treasure. It would be it would be a giant <laughs> failure of um storytelling if there was no treasure map on the back of this thing. Yeah. Do they teach that kind of thing in constitutional law at university? That uh, if you're gonna write a constitution, draw a map on the back? I don't know. I'll, they I, should. I know a lot of lawyers. I'll ask them, see what they say. All right. All right. <laughs> constitutional law one oh one. Draw a map. Very good. Other things we learn in this scene, though, is um, that the communities, you know, Ezekiel's idea is that the communities sign this thing and kind of start over as one. And, um, and, and we find out that, you know, Maggie isn't the biggest fan of Michonne right now. So we have some vague references to whatever happened between all these people or these communities to tear them apart and actually why you know, I think why this charter isn't actually signed already at this point. Um, not really any more information, but this is post disagreement, whatever that mm. was. Right. 
Uh, okay, we cut into the main theater at the kingdom. Ezekiel's looking over the charter a little bit more. We can see now that it was meant to be signed by Alexandria, Kingdom, Hilltop, Oceanside, and Sanctuary. Sanctuary. So, that was interesting. Yeah, so five communities. Well, Sanctuary was supposed to be its own you know, thing for a while after Negan was removed. They were supposed to work on their own. Now, we know that that's completely crumbled and so on. But Yeah, it, that's because they didn't move 40 feet to the left so that they could plant crops. I guess so. Uh, and they fell apart because they had nothing to eat. Yeah, we can't grow anything here. It's a friggin' parking lot. Oh, my God. No kidding, asshole. Go to a field. <laughs> right. Um, but it also sets the time frame a little bit more. I would say closer to the, you know, we don't know how long it took for the sanctuary to completely fall apart, but it would have been, I think, closer to the beginning of the six-year time period, right? So this charter has been sitting around unsigned for a while, I think. Yeah. I think. Um He's looking over it, but uh, well, we can we can actually date it. So, uh, I don't know how to to do the actual math, but I can tell you that uh, our hair tends to grow about half a millimeter a day. So we can calculate how long it took for Carol to grow the rest of her hair out. Is that right? true? Half a millimeter a day? It's hair about grows? half a millimeter a day. Wow. Okay. So if, I don't. I learned that. Okay. So you know, to be fair, I learned that from a. Uh, a girlfriend's dad that I had in high school and he was an engineer. So I believe him. Well, I mean, you were also dating his daughter. So you were inclined to believe anything he said. Uh, not really. No, you're he inclined to believe very, very thick said. German accent. He was a very scary man. Hmm. Well, half, yeah. half a millimeter a day. So 20 days to grow a centimeter. Uh, that seems no, awful. that can't, no, half a millimeter. That, that can't be right. That seems See, awful. now I don't believe him. That seems awfully quick. <laughs> Half a millimeter a day? No, that can't be right. Half a millimeter a week? Tenth, tenth uh, of a millimeter? Okay, theory goes out the window. Okay, well, this is something else we should maybe- That'd be really fast-growing hair, like, it holy would. shit. It would. You know, like a centimeter in a week? Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if our hair grew that fast? Be, oh, my. See, I, I hate cutting my hair as it is. I mean- All right, I'm glad you more. called me on that, because then I can take Gerhard's word and just throw it out the window. <laughs> okay. Fine. Sorry, did I just name him? You don't know who Gerhard is, so forget it. I certainly don't. Uh, anyways, something else we could maybe look up, but uh, we probably won't. Anyways, back to uh, Ezekiel. Diana comes into the room, and she, they go outside, and they talk about going out on an elk hunt. Apparently, there's a whole bunch of elk out there ready for hunting and bringing back. Uh, she says there's enough to feed all the communities for a while, which is nice. And around them, the rest of the uh, kingdom is preparing for this fair. So, uh, you know, we're back here in the in the present. Uh, Carol approaches and says she's coming on the hunt. And as they prepare to leave, we see Jerry and his family, which now has three kids, one of them a fairly new baby. Yeah. So that's nice. That also gives us a bit of a time frame. It is. Absolutely. Now, did you look at the kids? There's the There's a boy and a girl and a baby. And that boy... I think that's the best casting for young Jerry I have ever seen. Oh, yeah, that's good. Like, no, not, I didn't really notice that, but... It's not awesome. young Jerry, but it's Jerry's kid, and that might really be his son, for all I know. I think they look identical. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> right? I don't... I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, Ezekiel, he hops on his horse, and he says, in a few days we feast, it's all gonna work out. Yay! Did you see how he mounted that horse? That was quite grandiose. It was pretty cool. He looks like, it looks like he, Kari Payton might've been practicing that. 
Yeah, it was very theatrical, if I may. Well, that's his style. And even if it's not theatrical, it's just, it looks skillful. Like, I don't think I could mount a horse like that. I don't think I could get in a chair like that. (laughs) Yeah, I can't even get in and out of my car without groaning. Um, Yeah, luckily my car is pretty high, so I can fall out of the car if I have to. Sure, but you got to climb in. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, but I, all I could think when he says that is no one ever says it's all going to work out and then everything works out. I was a little, I was a little worried for him, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty much the kiss of death. Well, it all works out. So we're okay. It does. It does all work out for now. But, you know, even by him saying that, I started worrying about those around him. Like, what if this was Jerry's last episode? I was a little nervous. No, it's too early in the half season for that kind of shit to happen. Okay. Okay. Well. No, we got at least two episodes before somebody dies. All right. Well, we're going to have to remember that line because if it was someone who was there at that time, I'm afraid I might have to blame King Ezekiel for it. They wouldn't kill Jerry. He's got three kids. I know. That'll make it all the more tragic when they do. Anyways. We go over to Hilltop. The Whisperers are at the gate, as we know, and on the wall, looking down, we have Magna, Daryl, Yumiko, Tara, and Kelly, and Alpha says that she has shown her face because she means them no harm, but she wants her daughter. And of course, Daryl says nope, because he doesn't want to give Lydia back now that he knows what Alpha does to her. And Alpha says that's the wrong answer and then summons another group of whisperers from behind the cornfield. So there are now twice as many zombie mask wearing people standing outside the gate. Yeah, it was kind of laughable in my mind. It's like they're standing at the walls of uh, a fort, essentially, right? A a manned fort with fortifications and weapons and such. They don't really have any weapons other than knives up their sleeves and just like wrong answer. And five more people show up. Like I know it was more than five, but it just it seemed kind of like a uh, uh, instead of a pitiful number, it was more of a laughable number at that point. So it, it really didn't mean anything to me. They needed a herd. I mean, we get sort of a bunch of zombies showing up later in the episode, but it's still not scary. Like it, it's it's just still not scary. I I get that they don't have much of a plan of attack here. Like, what are they going to do? Right, just hang around until they annoy them enough to give Lydia back. I get that. But I I mean, I think it is somewhat, it's unsettling at the least, right? To have this group of people outside like that and the way Alpha looks, you don't know. And and the other thing is there are, there are potential unknowns here, right? Like maybe there's, maybe there's 600 whisperers and they've surrounded the community. Like that's, that could be a little bit scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's not what they showed. Like what they showed was just, you know, a few more people show up or from around the cornfield. Oh, I know. But I'm, what I'm saying is you don't, you know, the hilltop people don't know what they don't know. They don't know what the whispers are really capable of. So I feel like it's enough to, to keep, to just frighten them and, and at least get them off their guard. And if they do just hang around out there, like no one can leave like that. You can't, you can't get out because you have to go through this group of crazy people standing outside your gate. They have horses. They have mounted, you know, cavalry. No, no problem. <laughs> I don't know. I think I find them more frightening than you do. Yeah, I think so. Like, they didn't seem imposing to me. It's like, oh, they look scary. They don't have any weapons. Ooh. <laughs> what are wearing masks. Oh, no. What about the fact that they were properly spread out? I mean, at, uh, le- at least there was that. Well, they weren't standing yeah. there in a big clump, and you've complained about that before. 
I have I have complained about that before. At least they weren't. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll give them that. And I probably would have said that. Uh, at least you're not, you know, clumped together where I can get you all at the same time. Yeah. I'll have to fire seven shots instead of one. <laughs> Anyways, we go to the opening credits and uh, we come back. We're still inside Hilltop, but Enid is in the infirmary treating a wound sustained by Earl. And Tammy, his wife, is there, and she suggests he retire, but he doesn't want to retire. He's still got lots to do. So let me ask you this. Sure. Enid was tending a wound, wound on his arm? I think so, yeah. What she need the stethoscope for? A stethoscope. Maybe she gave him a general checkup as well. Listen to his I'm heart. Gonna, I'm just going to listen to your arthritis here in your arm. Let me see. Uh, <laughs> yep. That looks like it. Uh, sounds like it hurts. <laughs> That's right. That's all sure. right, doctor. Good work. <laughs> sounds like it hurts. You know, doctors may just wear stethoscopes all the time, even though they're not listening to someone's lungs or heart. Yeah, when they're doing rounds and they might need it later on. Hmm. Anyway, whatever. It's okay. You're a. It's you're, a, it's a, it's a, it's an it's a nitty of a picky. It's just it's very very small. Sorry. You're yeah. You're nitty picky tonight, especially. Yeah, we'll get there. Well, there's more. Oh, oh good. <laughs> uh, the group goes outside, uh, and Tammy says to Earl, or Tammy says that Earl works hard to fill the time since they lost their son years ago. So that's one of the things he does. You know, he doesn't want to retire. And Marco comes by and informs them that the whispers are at the gate, which is pretty scary, in my yeah. opinion. Right. But everybody else in this town is just kind of milling about. Well, there's some people like, you know, going towards the walls, but a lot of people are just like, eh, what do you want to do tonight? You want to, you want to like read a book together? What do you want to do? Play some checkers, maybe? Play some checkers. Yeah. There, yeah. uh, there's people just standing around like this is not really a big deal. Sit in the dark and wonder why we, we stay here any, anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been years sitting in the dark and, you know, talking is probably quite entertaining. It's probably something you do a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. So no phones. I'd drive me crazy. Oh my God. How would you check Facebook? Um, Kelly spots uh, up on the wall, spots Connie hiding in the cornfield. If you recall, she's in there. And she realizes that uh, the whispers don't know she's there. So, you know, Daryl reiterates to Tara that they're not going to return Lydia. And Alpha says there will not be any conflict if you just return my daughter. Plain and simple. So Daryl goes down to go outside the wall, and on his way, he passes by Henry and assures him that they aren't going to give Lydia back. Right. But he is going to go out there and talk to her. Um, okay. The, uh, so Ezekiel tells Carol. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so we go to this a scene with these guys. They're loading up their, their elk, I guess, after their hunt, so we don't get to see the hunt. They just are loading up their kills. And Ezekiel tells Carol about a side mission that he's kept secret and says she wouldn't want to come anyways. You just go right. back. We're going to go do this thing and then we'll meet you back home. But of course she protests and they take her to a movie theater that is full of zombies. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the theater they shot at just for fun. I just wanted to see where it was. And apparently that building is now used as City Hall in Hogansville, Georgia. Oh, nice. So it's not actually a theater. It's the city hall, which is kind of cool. That's cool. After a commercial break, we're back with Daryl. He comes out face to face with Alpha, uh, you know, through a fence, really. There is there is a barrier between them. And as he's approaching, Alpha instructs her people to get Alden and Luke. They bring them forward. 
Daryl says they can't have Lydia and that they have enough firepower to light them up. Yeah. He's really threatening. I mean, well, he's trying to be. Yeah, they're not threatening. I mean, they're they're standing around looking at a fortified position. No, I mean, right? Daryl is trying to be threatening. No, I know Daryl's trying to be threatening, but he can be threatening all he wants. He's got a fortified position, a bunch of weapons, a bunch of people, uh-huh. and uh, probably could uh, kill him a couple times over. Well. I mean, that fence between Daryl and Alpha and the rest of the Whisperers is probably enough. <laughs> to keep him out for long enough yeah yeah at least 10 minutes like well not 10 minutes but for a few moments so that they could get like 70 80 arrow shots out mm-hmm. before they even crossed the fence so the hilltop really i mean the whispers really have no plan here other than to walk up and say give her back or we're gonna ask again yeah and if you if you if you don't give her back right now i'm gonna ask you again and if you don't give her back then well, I'm going to ask you a third time, and then we'll just keep going like this. Won't that get annoying? That'll get really annoying after a while. Okay, so the next thing that happens is a baby starts crying. One of the whisperers is holding a baby, and the baby won't stay quiet, and it's drawing the attention of some walkers. Daryl questions why they'd bring a baby, and Alpha says herself, you know, we're animals, and animals have babies, and... She reiterates that they don't want any conflict and then proposes the prisoner trade. So is the baby their secret weapon or is that just a a coincidence? Uh, I think it's a coincidence, but I think it's their most threatening aspect so far. Like this Mm -hmm. baby probably will draw some walkers and they're scary. Sure, but isn't it also a tactic to take, you know, Daryl and the team off their sort of catch them off guard a little bit. Like, here's a group of people that are going to put a baby down, let it be devoured by walkers. We can't let that happen. So now we have to do something. It's like the the whisperers put the ball in their court and said, you know what? This is going to happen unless you stop it. And you can stop it by bringing out Lydia. I know that wasn't said in so many words, but I feel like that was almost a tactic. It It was almost a tactic. What I thought at first, what it was, was a human shield. Right? You can't attack us. We've got a baby. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. But they use the baby not only in that way, right? Yeah. They use, well, the, see, here's the thing I don't understand about the baby. So they brought the baby to the, uh, because they, what they do is they wander around. uh, Yes. But they have territory, which is kind of confusing too. Uh, Not only do they just wander around, but they have a territory that they like to uh, enforce. Like you, cross into their territory and mm-hmm. that's bad mm-hmm. uh, for some reason. But uh, so they have the baby. Uh, I forget where I was going with this. So they, okay. So they just wander around. They don't really have a camp. So they have to have, they have to carry their babies with them. Right. right. So they say, so, so I think it's a coincidence that they have the baby there. Uh, but putting the baby down so that the zombies can get it. I mean, whether it's, it's, it's crazy to, to go for the natural selection thing because, you know, us as humans, uh, we protect our babies, regardless of whether some shithead is telling us that we need to leave the baby behind because it's natural selection. I think at that point, a parent would probably stop listening to the crazy person. Yes. I know I would. Right. Like, put my baby down because, well, if it can't be quiet, it's got to die. No, like, you, you protect the baby until you are dead. That's how it works. Yeah. Okay. So that that's 
first thing aside. Second thing aside is uh, that I have to put aside is as a parent, I would put this baby down because it is threatening our position here uh, because we're trying to get back her child. So now this lady has to trade her baby so that Alpha can get her daughter back. And that doesn't make any sense to me because, uh, one, having somebody trade their child for your child uh, doesn't strike me as an equal balance. And uh, if they're leaving the baby behind for natural selection, what do you do for a child that is dumb enough to get captured? Isn't it natural selection to just let her go? Mm -hmm. So this... Uh, this rule that they have where natural selection chooses the quiet over the loud or the, the fit for living doesn't make any sense. They're, they're trying to fall on both sides of the fence at the same time. And it, it, uh, it, it created a, a ripple of conflict in me that I can't quite resolve yet. Well, I see what you mean, but Alpha does even say like, you know, if the baby can't stay quiet, I mean, there's no... Um, there's nothing you can do. You, the mother either has to keep the baby quiet. In this world, you have to live in quiet. I mean, they whisper to each other. They're called the whisperers. Their whole yeah. thing is about being quiet. Um, and I, I agree with everything you're saying, except that the only difference might be one is a baby and one is, and Lydia is a grown person, right? She's a, essentially an adult. So, Adults have their own agency. They have their own ability to make choices and decisions. Babies do not. So there's, there's, there is a difference there, but I do understand your, what you're saying about you're asking one parent to sacrifice their baby to save the baby of another. Yeah. And those things don't necessarily add up. That being the case, I feel like this might actually have been a planned ruse by them it's not just that the baby randomly started crying it's that they used this baby to to you know as as a bargaining tool almost but the only time the only way the baby becomes uh comes into play is if there are walkers around and i don't think the walkers were planned based on the conversation she had with two of her people they're saying well we have walkers over there should we lead them away. Mm. So as it, as if it was a surprise, you said, no, just keep them away from uh, us for a while. Yeah. So the walkers were a, were a surprise. And the only time, the only way the baby is a threat is if there are walkers around. So I don't think that was a plan tactic either then. Yeah, maybe not. One other thought I have about all of this is that if they do travel, they keep moving around and they take their children, their babies everywhere they go, that's kind of a clue that everybody here is the full extent of the whisperers. Like there isn't another group of whisperers back at their camp somewhere, right? Because right. then you wouldn't bring the baby along. You would leave the baby logically back in the safety of camp or whatever. But the fact that there's a baby there means this is everybody. This is it. And that's not that many whisperers, like you were saying. And probably a fight that the hilltop could win with relative ease based on what we know about these two groups right now. And let me, let me ask you about natural selection. Okay. So the idea here is that if the baby can't be quiet and the mother can't keep the baby quiet, that the baby must be sacrificed in order to save the, the group, right? Because uh, the baby will be a threat in that case. So she put the baby down, accepting this, uh, this sacrifice of uh, natural selection. Now, you're familiar with human babies, right? I've had a couple in my life, yeah. Yeah, and I've had one. Mm-hmm. 
and I've seen other babies on I, TV. I know they exist. On the subway. Yeah. And out and about and right. such. Um, are babies quiet all the time? Almost not. Well, no, not all the time. Okay. So they got, they're going to make noise, right? Sure. Because that's how they let you know that they need something like a diaper change or a rattle or a, you know, some food mm-hmm. or, you know, some sleep or just because, I don't know, they're happy and they want to cry about it. Right. It seems like babies want to do that. So human babies are not quiet by nature. So in order to have natural selection take over so that babies are quiet by nature is what uh, Alpha is trying to uh, foster here. Uh, they're probably going to have to go through a lot of babies. <laughs> yes. And uh, so with the size of the walkers, that w- the size of the whisperer group that we have here now, uh, how many babies are they going to go through? And are there going to be enough babies uh, 50 years from now when these people are old and start dying of natural causes? Chances are probably not. No. So they better come up with a different policy if they want to, you know, have a human race in a hundred years. I, I don't think they're interested in that. I don't think Alpha is going for that in any regards. This might be the only baby born to the Whisperers group that we are aware of. And that hasn't been sacrificed already. Well, it seems like they have a rule for this, right? I, I, yeah, but I think it could be a rule that just applies in, to this one baby. This is the one they've, they have. And Alpha's like, well, fine, have your baby. But if it's not quiet, I'm not going to go out of my way to, to, you know, keep it safe. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously they would need a different policy if they were looking to grow in size or restart civilization. I just don't think that is part of her plan. Yeah, you need a larger population in order to properly have natural selection, right? You know, come into play. You need Jerry and Nabila having three kids and maybe three more as the time goes on, and you know, yeah. really get the pool going. Yeah. So, in my opinion, all the whisperers are accomplishing here is that they're generating zombie food, <laughs> right? Yeah, I guess so. Because so, most babies anyway, are going to be loud. I don't think it's a well thought out. I don't think Alpha has uh, has yet to show a well thought out plan you know, of anything. But she's creepy as shit, man. That's yeah, that's creepy. Well, part it, of it. That's probably if that's well thought out, then fine. All right, I accept that. But uh, yeah, her the evidence of her ability to plan anything mm-hmm. is in question. Well. Okay, well, we'll see. I mean, we still have lots of episodes left and more more of the whispers in this episode. Uh, but we we need to keep going here. We go back over to the movie theater where Ezekiel and Carol are. And he explains to her that they came for the projector bulb. And at first she doesn't really understand, but he says it's sort of one of those motivational things that people need because they can take it back to the kingdom, get the theater up and running, and show movies to the children and to the people and basically, you know, team building and, and motivation and team morale and all that kind of stuff by showing them films. The way he describes it, I'm all on board. I think it's worth risking people's lives in order to accomplish this task. It's bringing communities together and it's, it's fostering the nature of a, of a festival or a fair. Uh It's going to uh, have these these uh, the, the kids that have never seen a movie before wonder at this thing and then bond together for the rest of their lives. That they all had this shared, amazing experience. And I'm all on board. And having said all those things, Carol changes her mind. So 
Jeez. I, if I was in this group and I was having doubts, I would probably lay down my life in order to foster this, uh, <laughs> this goal of, of, of his. He's an extremely convincing guy, King Ezekiel. Yeah. I do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm and for the first time, I don't know if I've ever expressly stated this, but for the first time, I'm all on board as him as a king. Well, we've talked about this. I mean, this is what the people need, whether he is really the king or not. I mean, by this time, he is the king, right? By now, he is. But at the beginning, remember, it was a persona he was putting on because yeah. the people needed it. And he recognized that, and they do need it. And this is the kind of thing that he does that reinforces that. All right, so let me ask you this. If he's the king, and Carol's the queen, even though she refuses to be go by that name, uh, the fact that Jerry is going into the theater to grab the bulb, and he knows what he's doing, and he knows what the bulb uh, what kind of bulb he's looking for and how to handle it and how to bring it back safely and how to use it in the kingdom in order to show a movie. Does that make him Merlin? Does that make him a wizard? Yeah. Um, he's the wizard. Sure. I'm, I could buy into that. Okay. That's good. I'm on board. <laughs> he's the wizard. He's a wizard with a battle axe. The king, the queen, and the wizard. All right. Well, we'll have to keep assigning other characters to roles as, as we go on, maybe. So what they do, though, is they use a boombox playing some music off of a cassette tape, tape labeled Mission Mix to lure zombies out of the like theater lobby and down the street. And this is how you do it. You remember I was saying before that if you're going to play loud noises in order to attract zombies, you play ACDC. I will fully accept funk in that category. If you're going to lure zombies out with anything, play some funk. Funk is where it's at. It is. All right. Cool. Well, they do. It works. They walk some zombies away. Inside, they clear out a few remaining walkers, but lots of them are trapped in the actual screening room, like sort of locked in behind the doors into the screening area. And so far, they haven't found the projector bulb they need. So uh, Jerry and Diane decide to go up to the projector room where the actual projector is while the others wait downstairs. Yep. Back at Hilltop... Um, this is when sort of, we find out that a bunch of the actual walking dead show up and Alpha and the whisperers who actually whisper about, you know, to each other sort of decide what to do. She says to keep them back for now. And Luke, who's standing there with a gag and his hands tied behind his back along with Alden notices that Connie is hiding in the corn. And so he manages to sign to her to stay hidden, which I thought was mm -hmm. very clever. It was very clever, and it actually reminded me of something that uh, Jasper did this morning. He's learning how to count on his fingers. Good. And this morning, when he was, I'm going to try and make this quick. As soon as this morning, as he, I was getting him out of his uh, car seat in order to uh, go into daycare, he was playing with his fingers, and he, he looked at me and said, "I don't know how to make R." <laughs> he knows how to do one, two, three, four, five, but he couldn't figure out how to do R. Oh, I'm like, dude, I don't know how to do it either. But we'll learn sign language together. Yeah, hundred percent. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Daryl is back inside the walls now, and he has decided to give Lydia back. He's decided that, you know, they have two of our people. We have one of theirs, despite the fact that we're sending Lydia back into an abusive, horrible situation. We can't let our own people die just to save her. So yeah. good trade. I'm all on board. And this actually reduces the threat even further. Of the whispers to me because they're offering a fair trade. 
Like it's a time honored tradition for uh, opposing organizations to trade prisoners. Right. Right. Prisoner exchange. That's what, that's the whole point of, you know, capturing prisoners and not killing them is to exchange them later to get back people that you want to get back. Mm -hmm. This is fine. Do a trade, get it done. Sure. It's, uh, into an abusive situation, but I'm sure there's lots of, uh, uh, lots of examples of trading a prisoner back to a country or an organization that is probably not the best in your eyes. And that giving this person back is probably a detriment to their health in some way, but you get back people that, uh, you know, you want back. Right. And in this case, it's a two for one, right? So it's, it should I mean, I can understand. Daryl has to do this pretty much. He can't let Alden and Luke be killed. And because what's the point? Then you've lost two people and you've saved one sort of. But, you know, I think he's making the right call here. But, of course, once he's inside the wall and he's decided to make this this trade, they, of course, realize that Lydia's gone. Henry has taken her away to try to help her escape. And they start searching the place. After a commercial break, we come back. They're still searching. Daryl uses dog to hunt for Henry by giving him a scent from one of Henry's t-shirts. Yay, dog's back. Which is cool. Dog is back. Dog was awesome in this episode, eh? Like, it's pretty good. Like, here, sniff this. Go find go find Henry. And it, he basically does, which is which is awesome. Yep. Um, outside, the Whisperers are mulling around with the walkers. The baby is crying, who has now been left on the ground. Uh... No, the the baby's crying. The mother can't quiet it. And she looks clearly distressed, the mother, you know, from behind her mask. Alpha kind of looks back and shrugs at her. And the mother then puts the baby down and leaves it there in the dirt um, to, to just keep crying. Alden sees this. He reacts. And this is where Alpha says that the dead will keep the quiet, the child quiet. If the mother can't, it's natural selection. Right. This is a cult, right? The Whispers? It's it, cult. I mean, yeah, it, it seems that way. I mean, if that woman was willing to put the baby down at her leader's request, I mean, that's cult-like behavior, brainwash-like behavior. Yeah. So so let me ask you this then. Uh, if Well, if this is a cult, that means that Whispers are not allowed to leave. If they're like, you know, I really don't like this. I want to go somewhere. They're not allowed. Is that right? Well, we don't know for sure, but it's sure if it's a cult. I mean, that is one of the characteristics of many cults. Yes. So, all right. So giving Lydia back, she can't just turn around and go, you know what? I don't want to hang out with you people anymore. I'm going to go back to uh, the hilltop here because uh, I got a boyfriend. Right. I mean, I licked a worm and then gave it to him and he ate it. <laughs> you don't find like guys like that very often. No. <laughs> so she, so that's the other thing is that give her back and then she just leaves. Right. But she can't. I mean, even if other whisperers could, I don't think Lydia would be allowed to leave her mother. That's, you know, that's the information we get here. Okay. So that's too bad. It is too bad. It doesn't mean she can't be rescued later, you know, as I think may become a thing. But uh, for now, they have to give her back and she has to stay. She's, she was legitimately kidnapped. Right. Like she she was actually captured uh, on the bridge. So she was legitimately captured and brought in and as a prisoner. Yes. But next time, if she just happens to sneak off from the group of whispers, which I don't think probably would be very hard, and then comes back of her own free will, 
Alpha doesn't really have anything to say in that regard. It's like, like she comes back and says, give me back my daughter. It's like, well, you know what? Your daughter came here of her own free will. I don't know what I can do for you. Right. It might foster a rather large conflict, but um, the, you know, the, there's the, it eliminates the moral question, or at least it answers it for Daryl and the Hilltoppers, because yeah. they, they're like, she came to us. She's afraid. She doesn't want to be with you. We say she can stay. And if they don't have any out of their own prisoners to trade, then what are they going to do? I have another question for you. Okay. <laughs> it gets down to the nature of the whispers. So the whispers uh, wander around with zombies, right? They go infiltrate a herd and then guide them and lead them other places. Right. So in my mind, that tells me that they have very little experience actually fighting zombies. Um, I, I, if they've been doing this for a long time, they may have never really had to fight them or kill them. They've kind of integrated with them instead. That would make sense. All right. Well, that's their weakness then, right? I mean, that's how you kill the whispers is that somehow you get the zombies to turn on them and they don't have any idea what to do. Mm-hmm. They don't have any real weapons. They don't really have any tactics. All they can do is wander around slowly. Uh, they might be screwed in that situation. It's an interesting idea. One that I hadn't thought of, really, but, I mean, their weapons are the same, similar, anyways, to the weapons of of our heroes, uh, at least in terms of knives and machetes and stuff like that, so... Yeah, they don't have horses and bows and arrows and crossbows and stuff, right? No, it doesn't really seem like it, not that we've seen so far. And they don't have tactics for going into a house or a building or a movie theater and clearing out zombies. Like, they don't... They don't do that, so they wouldn't have to build any tactics like that. And we know that they've been doing this since the outbreak, essentially. They were holed yeah. up in this uh, this, uh, this curtain warehouse basement, right? and they just basically hung out there until they developed these tactics, and then they went out. So they never learned them, in but my they, mind. Sure, but they must have at least – they must know how to go and scavenge supplies and stuff, go into buildings and – clear them out or or lure the zombies out you might be right about them not having to kill that many of them but they've survived they've had food and well they eat worms like that yeah they eat worms and bugs and uh probably moles and rats and birds and things other things they can capture and kill yeah i mean they don't well they had an opportunity to eat horse a little while ago and they chose not to Mm -hmm. crazy bastards yeah really okay well you're you're poking a lot of holes in the whispers, which I think is really interesting because the whispers are from the comic. And yeah. most of us who've read the comic just kind of accept the fact that they're weird and they seem dangerous. But you come along having never heard them before and are like, look at all these problems with this group. Like, why are they so threatening? It's an interesting take. Yeah. Well, they're more threatening when we thought they were zombies and they were doing weird things, right? Like, oh, my God, these zombies are thinking. That was more scary than way more scary than anything I've seen since. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll have to see how it goes, uh, because I consider the Whisperers pretty scary. Okay, well, it just, it strikes me as if uh, we are a pride of lions that are out uh, wandering the savannah looking for food, and we have a group of people that are pretending to be deer, Mm -hmm. right? And they're so good at pretending to be deer that they might as well be deer, and that you know, really, what's the difference between hunting this kind of deer and this other kind of deer? This other kind of deer has antlers, but I'm sure we can figure that out. Sure. They might as well be deer. We're still lions. Exactly. That's what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. 
All right. Well, let's do a couple of holy craps here, Jason. James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania says, holy crap, the baby. Is there any more of a holy crap moment of the episode? The reveal of the child, as well as the implication this has happened enough, or the implication this has happened enough times that the whispers have a silent indicator for, quote, toss the baby to the walkers, end quote, shows the legitimacy of threat the whisperers hold. (laughs) So kind of uh counter to your point but um you know they've i done think this- that they they have a lot of it seems like they have a lot of power over themselves and alpha has a lot of power over her organization of whispers but the threat that they have over other people is like if you don't listen to us we're gonna put this baby in the dirt well but it worked i mean that's it got daryl to be like we got to make this trade because these people are nuts they put a baby down that <sighs> I mean, it, it's it, just going to incite an attack. It helped, anyways. It's yeah. going to incite an attack. Uh, it's going to unsettle on, them, sure, but it's just it's going to incite an attack because obviously uh, most people are protective of babies, right? <laughs> I guess it might backfire in the end. She got Lydia back now, but it's going to bring the full fury of the London police force down upon them. Yeah, right. It's another. Uh, See, thing um adam in texas writes holy crap i'm just gonna call it alpha is not a good person leaves a baby for the walkers to eat rude in all seriousness (laughs) for once i'm glad the show didn't feel the need to shock us uh and i think what he's saying is they didn't feel the need to actually show the baby get eaten by zombies because frankly a mother putting a baby down and abandoning it like that was shocking enough for most people i think yeah they won't kill a baby no i wasn't i wasn't uh, a feared of the baby being eaten by zombies. Uh, right. Yeah, I know. We've talked a lot about whether or not they'll kill a baby, and I don't think they're going to. One more here. Noop J on the internet writes, holy crap, what a terrible leader Alpha is. She's willing to sacrifice the group's future by feeding babies to zombies. Also, she's created a reason for the mother whisperer to not only distrust her, but to want to defect to the hilltop to be with her baby again. It is an interesting thing to see the seeds of Alpha's own demise possibly being sown. So, so yeah. Interesting and, call. But if it's a cult, that mother is bought in and isn't going to react the way Noop Jay is suggesting. So, yeah, if it's a cult, maybe then she's going about it wrong because cults don't get you to abandon human nature. Cults General, and I'm speaking generally here, and I don't really have a lot of information on cults, so I'm mostly talking on my ass. But cults, uh, cult leaders get people to do things that they probably already want to do, that they're, and it's encouraging to to do those things. And a lot of cult leaders will uh, uh, will reinforce the family unit, us against them. Mm-hmm. Family's the most important thing. The kids are the most important thing. We have to, we have to protect the children, uh, that kind of thing. Getting the people that are in a cult to completely abandon their human nature and put their children in the dirt to be devoured by animals or zombies in this case is not something that a cult leader would be able to get away with for very long. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I haven't done a lot of, uh, studying of cults or never. I've watched cults on TV is basically my only source of information. Sure. But yeah. Every cult that I know about, uh, has, has families involved, right? The, the people, they give up their lives, but they still keep their kids. Right. 
right? They might trade them out for sexual favors, but they still have them there. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, You're right. The, uh, the family is important. That's or- not a joke. That shit happens. Oh, I know. There's some crazy shit out there, but I, I see what you're saying. Like they keep the, the unit together, even if it's not your blood related family, the cult yeah. is your family. And like you are with us now and protect the family. Right. Exactly. So like, yeah, that's, that's even the, the mafia's motto, you know, protect the family. The family happens to be the, you know, the mafia, but, and that's mostly I get from the Sopranos. Like every, TV tells me everything. Everything Jason knows he learned from TV. Yeah, probably. So, but family seems to be key in all these situations. And yet here we go, here here we are uh, having someone abandon their own baby. And I just, I my, everything about me cries bullshit. Right. Which is part of the reason I think that this may have been at least a loose plan for them. You know, I mean, I know you said the zombies seemed like they showed up by accident, but use the baby to force Daryl's hand, essentially. Right. Oh, yeah. And that ha- that's human nature. Right, exactly. Right? Using babies, like that happens in divorces all the time. We'll see. Use the babies as weapons of some kind. Right. To force somebody's hand. <laughs> and it worked. I mean, TV tells me that too, right? There's all kinds of shows about divorces and things where they're using the babies like, well, yeah, I've got to take the baby, but uh, you, you get this and this. And if you don't do this, I'm going to take the baby away from you forever. And then they do that thing. So right? sad. So, humans are yeah. jerks. Humans are jerks. I don't like humans in general. In general. I like you. That's about it. All right. <laughs> Me, maybe your wife, probably yeah, your yeah. son. Yeah, my, my family. Sure. But you too. Family. It's most important. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on. Uh, back inside the gates, we've got Dog, and it leads Daryl to that escape hatch that the kids were using to get out under the wall through the fake wood pile there. So did Daryl not know about that? He did not know about it. Remember, he just kind of moved in. Like he, Yeah, okay. He was living on the woods. He doesn't know shit. Right. right. He, he okay. doesn't know about that. Um, Addie and Enid have followed him there and Addie says that she probably knows where Henry took her and uh, Enid then convinces Daryl to let her go out and get Henry because she's like, you know, Henry likes me. He'll listen to me. Yeah, he is a thing for me so I can manipulate him. Right, exactly. You stay here and deal with Alpha. Uh, The, um, you know, hilltoppers are up on the wall. They're banging it to try to distract those walkers. Luke in all the commotion signs to Connie that the baby is exposed. The baby is is there by itself. So she makes the difficult decision to run out of the corn. She kills a couple of zombies and grabs the baby then back into the cornfield. And we go into sort of deaf mode here because now we are just with uh, Connie who, as we know, can't hear And she's running through this cornfield, trying to escape the zombies with the baby in her arms. And we, as the audience, are experiencing it kind of like she does. Severely muffled hearing with zombies around, but you can't see them really. Or sometimes you see them in the distance in the rows of corn, but then one jumps out right in front of you. And she kills a few of them, um, but she's nearly overwhelmed. But just before one of them gets her, she's saved by Daryl, Kelly, Earl, and Tammy, who have, I guess, run out into the cornfield to help her, and uh, they help her escape. Right. So this was an amazing sequence, I thought. It, it was good. I did, uh, I did enjoy that, that we got the, uh, the sound uh, design kind of mirrored what was going on, and I, I kind of liked that. It was, I thought it was incredible. I think the sound design was, was, was amazing to be with a character who is 
hearing impaired and for us to experience it that way. I thought the, the sort of cinematography of it all was really cool. Like having, having a Walker kind of coming down the cornfield at her, but she's all panicky, right. And looking around. And then there was one right in front of her because that would happen in a cornfield, right? This makes sense for once where a zombie could sneak up and jump out at you. Yeah. And I, I just loved it. I thought it was a really tense, scary kind of situation. And then of course she's holding a baby. So she doesn't have both of her hands to fight them off with. Right. Yeah. And cornfields are scary. Cornfields by themselves are scary. I've been in cornfields and they're frightening. Yeah. Yeah, they are. You never know what's just behind the big stalk. It's either children of the corn or zombies. <laughs> One or the other. That's right. Um, Elizabeth in Newcastle, UK writes, holy crap, the scariest moment in the episode had to be Connie in the cornfield with the baby, unable to hear walkers coming, unable to see them until they were right on top of her. I was genuinely freaked out. So I would totally agree with that. It, um, it was just, just genuinely scary and it, it really effectively communicated the terror involved with that situation for her to me as, as the viewer. So I loved it. Yep. Yep. Um, we got, we cut over to Jerry and Diane upstairs in the theater. He's extracting the bulb and he mentions to Diane that the bulbs are very fragile. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Bill on the internet writes, Holy crap. Jerry just quoted a Christmas story. Fragile. Uh, which was a movie. Yes, it was. <laughs> so I think that was fun. Uh, downstairs in the theater, we've got Ezekiel and Carol uh, start removing. They start removing a poster box from the theater wall. And he says it's for the charter to be framed in. So they finally want to put this thing in a frame. Nice. And Carol and him talk about repairing their relationship with Michonne. And she mentions that they should talk to Jesus about taking them in if they have to. Which Sad. is interesting because they don't know that Jesus is dead yet. How could they? They don't know. I know. How could they? It's, it is kind of sad. Um, but I also was wondering kind of what this means exactly. We sort of know that the kingdom has been falling apart a little bit lately and that they, it's the place is just kind of run down. So is that all she was referring to? That like, if we don't, aren't able to live at the kingdom anymore, are we going to have to move in to the hilltop or was there something more to it? Do you think? I, re I really don't know. Yeah. I, I'm wondering, like, it's it's just them sort of planning for any eventual outcome, maybe. But uh, I was mostly just sad that, yeah, they don't know Jesus is dead yet. So we're going to have to have that scene where they find out. If only they had cell phones. I know. Cell phones or walkie-talkies or something. I don't know. Well, then a character named William comes up and informs them that the boombox died and that the zombies are on their way back and they'll be there in 15 minutes. So we got to get a move on people. I hate it when the boombox dies. I know. Like, that doesn't just mean the batteries are dead. I assume that means the batteries are dead. Right. That's exactly what it means. Yeah. Because I remember going camping when I was a kid and the batteries on the boombox died. So they tried to hook the boombox up to the car battery. My parents were super drunk at the time. In in their defense, I'm not really sure. But uh, they tried to hook it up to the car battery, and my Uncle Dougie was standing by with a baseball bat in, in, in case my, my dad was getting uh, electrocuted at the time. He was going to knock him, you know, free of the electrical current. Right. He, he was going to baseball bat the boombox out of his hands? No, he was going to baseball bat him to get him away from the electrical current. <laughs> yeah, they were super drunk. Well... Uh, 
Anyway, yes. I don't think it worked out overall. Nobody got hurt, but we didn't have tunes for the rest of the night. You didn't have music, so the boombox died and the party was over. <laughs> oh, no, it, it got more entertaining at that point. Because okay. I was asleep before the boombox died, but then I woke up and I was able to witness this hilarity. Oh, I'm sure it was super I mean, funny. I was in grade three. I didn't quite understand it, but it's funny now. <laughs> yeah, naturally. Nobody, nobody got hurt. Good. That's the most important thing. <laughs> it really is. Well, the zo- the zombies will come back. We'll be back in 15 minutes. That's bad. Upstairs, Jerry now has the bulb, but a stealth zombie jumps out and he drops it down into the seating area below. And I should mention that they had just bubble wrapped it. So when it fell down there, it didn't necessarily break, which is good. No. Yeah. It probably landed on a nice soft seat. Right. Or a nice soft zombie head because they're pretty soft oh, yeah. too. And it went boing. Yeah. And then bounced off another one and did a bunch of bouncies and... It landed nice and safely and gently on the floor. A nice bunch of bouncies. That's right. Commercial break and we're back and Henry and Lydia, they are of course in that teenager's secret clubhouse that the kids from the hilltop have. She's changed clothes now. So it's all cleaned up. Looks much better. And she uh, admits that Alpha broke her rules when she came to get her. Basically, this isn't something that Alpha normally does. They let people go and you know, never go back for them. Uh, she speculates that maybe Alpha is sorry, and that's, you know, just her being optimistic, I think. And then, of course, Enid and Addie show up, and they tell Henry that they have to give Lydia back. Uh, they mention Alden and Luke being prisoners. And then Enid talks about, you know, things like watching her parents die and having to survive somehow after that. She talks about Carl and the letter that he wrote to her. And she says, you know, you just have to live with it by staying who you are and not letting the bad things change you. This is just something we have to do. Yeah. And of course, Henry resists, but Lydia comes out of her own accord and she volunteers to go back. She she says she wants to because Alpha's her mother and they are her people. So she kisses Henry and tells him that they will both be okay. So Lydia's oh, vol- nice. she's volunteering to go back. I mean, that's kind of, you know, sad, but I think even she sort of knows that it has to be this way, right? You, you can't just, you know, if I stay here, those two people will die. And do I really belong here? Yeah. She can just leave later. Well, I really don't see this as a problem. <laughs> that's right. I guess she could just leave later or some idiot can go after her later and probably cause more trouble, but we'll get to that. If only we could find an idiot to do that. If only we could. That's right. Yeah. Dawn in Wisconsin writes, holy crap, Henry is unbearable. This is on a level of Hayden Christensen in Star Wars episodes one through three. Bad acting aside, I can kind of sympathize with the character. I was always attracted to screwed up chicks when I was a teenager, but none of my girlfriends wore human skins. That you know that you of, know Don. Of, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did we both go there? <laughs> well, because I knew you would. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, so, yeah. You know what? With the acting... Henry didn't bother me in this episode like he has in the last two. I thought he was actually pretty good here, which which is a nice change for me. Yeah, I, I really don't think it rises to the level of Hayden Christensen in the first, in the Star Wars prequels. God, very few things rise to that level of shitty. Well, let me ask you this. Is he still an actor? I I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he, I don't, I think he is, but I don't know if he's been in too much. 
<laughs> I don't no. look him up. I'm not. I know the uh, the kid who played Anakin didn't doesn't act anymore. No, like, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's dumb. But uh, Hayden Christensen. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm Maybe not he's sure. doing some off-off Broadway. And I looked that up, by the way, off-off Broadway, and it is true. It's number of seats, and that's the only thing that counts. Hmm, interesting. Off-off uh, Broadway is less than 100 seats. Off-Broadway is 100 to 499, and Broadway is 500 plus. Wow. All right. Well, I I figured, I mean, I believed you when you said it last week, but. Yeah, mostly I'm, you know, you know just bullshitting whatever, but that one's true. Most of the time. All right. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I think that Henry, like I said, was okay. And I can almost see his point of view here, right? Like I, I see both sides of this. You have to make this exchange, but you don't have to like it. And he's not quite mature enough to realize that, um, that it has to be done no matter, regardless of the fact that he doesn't like it. So I was okay with it. I was okay with Henry here. Well, yeah. How can he not go after her? He ate a worm for her. I know you keep saying that and it's very important. I, I have this strange feeling that you may have done something similar to worm eating for a girl in your life. Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but you know, similar. it's a very I romantic said, thing. I said it's similar. similar. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's symbolic of the, uh, of the feelings they have for each other. Right. Exactly. So that's why it kind of works. You can understand. I've traded gum with someone before. Fuck, who hasn't done that? Come on. It's true. Uh, we cut back to the hilltop and Daryl is bringing Lydia out of the gate. Everybody else is just inside watching. They do the prisoner exchange. Lydia approaches Alpha, apologize to, apologizes to her and then calls her mama. And Alpha slaps her across the face, but then hugs her and tells her, call me Alpha. Right. Because so, abusive parents are misunderstood, I guess. Oh, I guess so. Um, Maybe she's sorry. Slap, hug. You know, there's no mixed signals there. She's not an abusive parent that is acting crazy. No, not at all. But they've got their people back, Jason. Alden and Luke are safe. Everything can go back to normal now. Um, we see Enid and Alden have a nice emotional reunion. That's really, really nice. And what I liked about that bit there, to be actually, is that I was fully expecting to get a shot of like Henry standing behind them, looking on all jealous or slighted or something because Enid, um, you know, came and convinced him to do this. And then, you know, it was all for Alden, not for him. And I kind of expected that, but I'm glad we didn't get that. Uh, I think we're supposed to understand that Henry probably already feels this way and they didn't really need to show it to us. You know what I mean? Right. So I thought that was good. Commercial break, and we're back in the theater. Zombies are starting to push through the barrier. Jerry comes down and informs Ezekiel he dropped the bulb, to which, you know, Ezekiel thinks maybe they should just leave with the poster box and and uh, take the victory that they can. But Carol steps up and says they got to fight for what they came. And music starts playing, and they slow-mo fight those zombies coming out of the screening room. I thought that was pretty cool, too. That wasn't even like a trick photography or anything. They probably all went in there with the funk playing and uh, they just slow-mo f- fought them. You you turn on some funk and the world goes into slow motion and you are a better fighter no matter what. I should have. It's one of my big regrets in life that uh, as a, a younger man, I didn't get more into funk. You know, I should have late. gotten more into funk. I know it's not too late, but I just, I feel bad that I don't have the funk vocabulary that I've 
feel I should have at this age in my life. All right. Uh, And if anybody is out there in the Toronto area and they want to start a funk band, uh, (laughs) let me know. Because especially if you have a horn section, if you have a horn section, I'm... I'm all in. I, I'm I'm really enjoying funk nowadays. You know, you've put that out there now. Someone is going to take you up on the offer. I'm not. I'm. I know. I thought about this earlier today. And uh, Jason's yeah, a drummer. I, I, he's a, I mean it. <laughs> he's a damn good drummer. If you need a funk drummer or any kind of drummer, he's your man. Well, not any kind of drummer, but funk drummer. Yeah, okay. more of a backbeat kind of drummer guy. All right, sweet. Uh, Josh, the stockbroker. In L.A. writes, my holy crap moment has to be when they turned on the funk music to do some Walker killing. Damn right. It completely deflates the tension from the scene, which I guess is good because we've already had a tense scene in the most obvious holy crap moment. The showrunner knows not to give us too many gut punches in one episode. That's true. And I don't know if he's talking about the baby or, or what, but this the point is this was just fun, funk and fabulous. I honestly think that Uptown Funk was the best thing that came on the radio in the last 15 years. It's quite the statement. It is. And I I thought it at the time, and years later, I, every once in a while, I'll put on Uptown Funk, and it's Bruno Mars. It's a damn good song. All right. Cool. It's fun stuff. I'm smoother than a, a fresh jar of Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some lyrics right there. <laughs> Those are some lyrics right there. Uh, okay, well, we cut outside, and the gang is on their way home with the bulb. So we just see the beginning of that fight, but they got the bulb back. They're talking about being ready for any eventuality. I'm talking about Ezekiel, Ezekiel and Carol, of course. And I guess he's referring to the possibility that they might not be able to repair their relationship with Michonne and stuff like that. As they ride, they pass a street sign with a red symbol spray painted on the back of it. So before I get into what this symbol means, Jason, was it recognizable to you? Did it mean anything to you in context of the episode, the show, or even like real life? Nope. Okay. (laughs) So it kind of looked like you could describe it either as a T, but with the vertical line split into two, uh, coming down at an angle, or maybe an A with the cross of the A moved up to the top and extended. Okay. Do you think it's an A? No, I don't know what it is, but, or at least I don't know what it is in the context of the show, but I went on the internet and looked this thing up. And Thank God for the internet. I know. No. I know. If I mean, it wasn't you for know, that. 20 years ago or 30 years ago, we'd all be just, first of all, you and me would probably just be sitting around talking about The Walking Dead. And not having a podcast because there's no internet. Right. Uh, but, you know, thank God, because you could look stuff up. You can look stuff up that you couldn't do when we were kids. Right. Well, I looked this thing up, and according to the internet, that thing is an astrological symbol called a quincunx. That's not a word. It, it is, and it's a, it's a word you got to be careful saying, I'll be honest with you. You sure do. From astrostyle.com... Uh, I read this. When two planets are five signs apart, they are quincunx, an eccentric angle where the zodiac signs have absolutely nothing in common. In fact, they can seem like aliens to each other, operating so differently that major adjustments need to be made for them to cooperate. The planets involved in a quincunx have completely different missions. The zodiac signs have no shared traits 
elements or qualities. So that really, really sounds like a description of the hilltop versus the whisperers <laughs> Two completely, okay. two completely different groups that have nothing in common, totally different missions. And for any chance of these groups to work together, they would have to have major adjustments made on both sides. I think that's very clever or a very clever way of including that kind of thing in the show. Yeah, that's, that's true. I didn't know there was an actual symbol for that. I've been in bands with people like this before. You know how you meet people and they're slightly different than you and uh, they see things slightly different from you. But uh, at some point, your realities intersect. Yes. You have common ground of some kind. Right. Uh, and you can, you can work together. You can put things aside. You can, uh, you can make things work. Some people's realities align very, very closely. Uh, hopefully you meet lots of these people in your life. But every once in a while, just. It's very rare, but every once in a while you meet somebody whose reality does not intersect with yours whatsoever. Yep. They're so alien to you that they don't make any sense to you whatsoever. And no matter how much you talk to them, you will not make any sense to them. Yep. I've met people like this. I've been in bands with two people like this. I can think of two people right off the top of my head. And I know somebody personally that I'm not in a band with that uh, is like that. And the only... There's, there's nothing you can do. There's just, there's no common ground. There's no reality. This is like, you're not making yeah. any sense. I hear the words, uh, you're speaking English. I know what those words mean individually, but you're off your fucking rocker because yeah. that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, it's, it's like you and me, we don't see eye to eye on anything. No, but we have intersecting realities. <laughs> we know the internet is awesome. We can look stuff up. Yeah, I'm joking. Of course we, uh, yeah. I think ours intersect more than, than a lot of people's do in Probably. many, many ways. So now I have a term for it. These idiots are quincunx to me. Quincunx, yes. Uh, quincunx. Q-U-I-N-C-U-N-X. Quincunx. Oh, it's an X. Okay. Yeah, it's an X. You can, we can probably get rid of the letter X altogether, right? Just it, replace it with KS everywhere and it, we're good to go. It doesn't do much, to be honest. I mean, it looks cool. Or Q, for that matter. Just KW. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, I thought this was an extremely clever way of uh, including... Um, you know, the idea in the episode that these two groups are just totally 100% incompatible. Um, yeah. you know, and I'm also working on the assumption that this symbol is related to the whisperers in some way. I don't see how it couldn't be. Um, but they on a, can't carry around spray paint. Of course they can on a, I was going to say on a completely surface level, it probably is just there to identify their territory. Um, but it's a clever symbol to use. So. Oh, well, then we're introducing more conflict, right? Their territory is if it intersects this, uh, this town where they found the, uh, uh, the light bulb, mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, now the kingdom is fucking with their shit. Right. And they're going to visit the kingdom and demand something. Right. Well, and one of the things Alpha said near the beginning is that you came into our territory and there was no conflict. You killed our people and there was no conflict. But if I don't get my daughter back, there will be conflict. And now, yeah, you're right. We know that the kingdom has now entered their territory. So the whispers are probably going to start to get more and more upset. They're going to show up at the, at, at the kingdom and say, we want our light bulb back. And, <laughs> right. you know, we brought you two light bulbs in trade, but they're not as good as that light bulb. Like but, they're just regular light bulbs or maybe even LED. I don't know, but uh, we want our light bulb back. And here are your two light bulbs that we stole from you. 
They, well, that's right. I mean. Well, we found them. They, I mean, the light bulbs went out for a walk and we, we took them. We took them. <laughs> and killed their horses. We want, we want our light bulb back. That's amazing. How are we going to watch movies in our zombie-filled movie theater? Right? Uh, that's not the point, right? It no. doesn't matter. It's that they took it. Yes, that's, exactly. I think that that's why they went after Lydia is not because it's Alpha's daughter. I think it's because they kidnapped her. It was the first time they kidnapped something. They got to protect their own. Uh-huh. Right? Except for, you know, babies. But they got to protect their own. So she went and said, give me back my daughter. It was the only way you could, uh, that she felt that she could rationalize it to this uh, people who live behind walls. And those people are crazy because, yep. you know, uh, walls are bad. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, anyway, what was my point? There's no point. Give me my light bulb back. Right. That's all they want. That's it. We cut back to Hilltop and Henry is still there practicing his staff work. Daryl walks by and he tells Daryl that he understands why they had to give Lydia back, but it's still not okay. And Daryl kind of agrees, but says, you know what? You just have to live with it. And uh, that's the way it is. So Henry also mentions the scars on Daryl's back. And he says, you know, I know how you got those. Um, But Daryl says, again, the world is just shit sometimes and you have to live with it referring to whatever happened there. And then, um, uh, you know, Daryl also kind of doesn't think that Henry really understands what he had to do when things went bad, uh, because Henry would have been already younger at that point. So, um, you know, he doesn't really know. Uh, we see Ezekiel putting the charter in the poster box. He, they're back at, at uh, the kingdom now. And upstairs... In their theater, Jerry gets the projector going, so everybody's happy about that. Uh, we're kind of into a montage here, leading towards the end. Uh, so we cut back over to Luke's group. He's now reunited with all his friends. They're drinking in celebration, but Connie doesn't really look that happy. I think she's a little distressed by all of this. Uh, we see Enid rolling into bed with, with Alden. That's exciting for them. Tammy and Earl with their new baby that Connie rescued. So the reference earlier to losing their child, now they have a new one to raise. Yep. They we just see- took that baby. Yeah. Are they gonna, aren't the whispers going to come back for it? You know, I mean, I was thinking the same thing. This is the second baby they've stolen now. Remember Rick took the other baby from the, uh, the yeah. um, uh, saviors. And now they have this baby. Uh, and I figured they would have given the baby back. But they didn't. They did just kept the baby. It's like, well, you left the baby in the dirt, so it's ours. It's not now. your baby anymore. It's our baby now. I mean, there's there's an argument to be made there. If you abandon a baby in the dirt and someone else takes it to rescue it, it's your baby now. But by I mean, whispers was, should come after this baby. It's like, well, you took our baby. It's like, well, you left the baby. Oh, no, well, that doesn't really mean anything. So we're gonna have to take one of your babies in order to trade you for that baby. Right. Or maybe they go get the light bulb and then trade the light bulb for the baby. I don't know. I don't know. The light bulb's got to mean something, right? But yeah, it's, is it worth a baby to the whispers? Probably the same thing, right? Probably. Well, the, sorry, light bulb's quieter. <laughs> so it might be worth more. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also see Jerry with his baby, you know, uh, while Nabila is sleeping in the background. We see Henry lying in bed awake, and he gets up and runs off somewhere. And then Addie comes to Daryl and says that she found a note in Henry's room we don't know what it says yet, but we cut to Daryl leaving Hilltop with a backpack. Why was she in Henry's room? Uh, her and Henry are getting it on. Or maybe so she- So why, why does he need a girlfriend? Yeah, no. She went to get- well, I don't know. She went to get Henry, 
to say, hey, let's go head out to the uh, clubhouse and get drunk again. But he wasn't there and she found the note. Okay. Well, wouldn't, if he, if he wanted the note to be found, why would he leave it in his room? The sheep, maybe, maybe Addie is the kind of person that searches people's rooms on no. a regular basis. It's it, like, knock, knock, knock. It's time for me to search your room. He wasn't there, but he, she found a note. When he didn't show up for like breakfast the next morning, the obvious place to look for him would be in his room and then they'd find the note. I don't okay, know. But she found it that night. <laughs> who cares? This is dark. No, what do you mean? And who cares? <laughs> this is important. Okay. What's she doing in Henry's room? I, I don't have an explanation. Nobody ever explains it. I'm going to say she went to get him to go and hang out at the clubhouse and he wasn't there. Okay. That's the most logical thing I can think of. Okay. I just, it seems weird that uh, she just found it in his room. I was rifling through his stuff and I found this note. Yeah. Is it important? Well, it looks important. It's important. She's a little thief. That's what I think. I think she goes around stealing stuff. Could be that. Could be that too. Yeah. Why not? She roots through right. people's stuff while they sleep every night. Yeah. Nobody explained it. So your theory is just as good as mine. Absolutely. She's a thief. Absolutely. Maybe she's a spy. Maybe. For somebody. I don't know. <laughs> for somebody. Sorry. She's a whisperer <laughs> spy. Is that a theory now? No. no. I gave, well, we maybe for, uh, Michonne. for the people, uh, that with the helicopter. Uh, Georgie's people. Yeah, Georgie, that's it. Maybe. Georgie's people. We're not even sure they're with the helicopter people, so. Well, not yet. Somebody. But they will be. Yeah, all right. Daryl's packing up to leave, and as yeah. he's go, he goes, as he's heading for the gate, Connie is there, and she follows him and asks why he's going, and he shows her the note that Henry left, which we now find out says, couldn't live with it, left to find Lydia. So he can't deal, he can't deal with it. He's gone out to go after Lydia. Why would he, why would he leave a note? Well. Because he wants Daryl to go after him? He wants them to know that he really, truly believes what they, you know, this whole situation is bullshit and not okay. And he's gone to do something about it. Yeah. And he's never met Daryl before and doesn't know what Daryl would do in this situation. Well, he should know absolutely what Daryl's going to do in this situation. So maybe he wants, maybe he's forcing Daryl's hand. He's saying, look, if you won't go and help me get her back, I'm going to go do it anyways. And I know you're going to follow me. Right. Oh, he needs Daryl's help. He needs Daryl's help and he's forcing okay. him, forcing him All to right. do it. I got it. I'm on board. Okay, good. Connie was talking to Daryl. She wants to go with him, but he, of course, initially says no. Uh, but she says, I can't live with it either. I am not on board with this. So Daryl kind of stomps off. Connie follows. And the two of them, along with Dog, exit the hilltop gates together. Gates close. Episode finished. All right, then. So there you go. We're going after, we're going to cause some more shit with the whispers. Yeah. Just what. when you think everything is going to be fine, we get stupid Henry going out and now Daryl and Connie and dog going after him. So we're going to stir the pot once again, which can only have a bad outcome. I feel like. So the whispers come, they're perfectly reasonable. You know, we, you know, you killed some of our people, even though we went after you, like we were chasing you and you killed our people. So yep. that's your fault, but whatever. Uh, they show up, they're perfectly reasonable. We want, uh, we want Lydia back. We, uh, we found these two morons out in the woods and, uh, we want to give them back to you mm -hmm. and let's just do a trade. Yep. And they do a trade and they're like, cool, let's go. We got no problem with you. You got no problem with us. Everything's even Steven and they leave. And then Henry comes along and screws it up again. Yep. Uh, stirring up a hornet's nest. 
uh, you know, causing, they're, they're talking about these herds that are kind of floating around, right? There's this herd that went through this town uh, where they had to get the light bulb out before the herd goes through. They've named the herds. These zombies are out there ready for the whispers to come and guide them to do something. Yep. It's, Henry's an idiot. He's Yeah, he is, but he's he's thinking with his heart or something else more than his I'm brain. not sure. Lower. Okay, he's not using his brain. Let's put it that way. That um, brain. But at the same time, he he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. He's trying to do what he feels is right because he doesn't believe that sending Lydia back to this situation is okay. And I get that. He's standing up for what he believes in. He's just going to cause more problems than he's going to solve is, is what it comes down to. He needs to be put back in jail is what I, needs to happen. I think you might be right. He needs to just stick in jail and yeah. maybe live down there. You, you know? need to have a timeout until puberty's over. <laughs> That's right. Which is around the age of 25, from what I understand. So he's got a good eight, nine more years, whatever. I don't know how old he is, but. That's right. Yeah. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to put you on ice, cool your heels until you're 25 <laughs> and then you'll be okay. We're going to put you Maybe. on blocks in the front yard for a while and then yep. fix you up in five or six years. Yeah. <laughs> Restore you then. Well, Sean on the internet writes, my holy crap moment has to be the emotional tone this season has over the other ones. In all the other seasons, there was never really any stakes. We just knew the writers and showrunners would be killing off people for fun and poignancy, but this is the first time we're really feeling the emotional impact of some of this stuff and wanting to get fired up to fight for something. Good job, Kang. I don't know if I'd agree with that entirely, that there have never been any stakes, but uh, they've certainly done a good job with, um, with this season with the emotional stakes, I think. So I definitely, definitely agree with that. Sally on the internet writes, holy crap, I'll never stop loving Jerry. From the already being chewed gum to the excitement over a light bulb and being a daddy who walks his little guys to sleep at night, please keep him forever. Okay. That sounds fair. <laughs> He's got three kids. It does. But I'm a little worried for Jerry, Jason. He featured pretty heavily in this episode. No. And he was awesome. He was awesome. But... We just have to worry if he gets a hero episode. I mean, this is pretty close, but it was still about uh, Ezekiel and Carol, and Jerry was there for comic relief slash wizardry. Yeah, I know you're right, but what if he's in like two or three more episodes for with you know this much prominence? It could be more of like a hero half season for him before he before something bad happens. Yeah, like I say, we've got at least two episodes before somebody dies. All right. Fine. I just don't want it to be Jerry. I'm really fine. Well, no, not Jerry. Everybody's, everybody loves Jerry. Lydia's going to die, right? Wow. I, I'm pretty sure Henry's going to die trying no, to save Henry. Lydia. But Henry, ugh. Maybe both of them. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's going to be a Romeo and Juliet situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can do with, well, it is Romeo and Juliet situation now. It's we thought maybe sure. it was going to become that, but it totally is now. We have uh, her being, you know, the daughter of the Capulets and him being the son of the Montagues. And uh, I don't know, that might be the other way around in the play. I don't know. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Romeo and Juliet, they're young, they're stupid, they're doing dumb things. They're going to go off together and uh, plot to be together. And that, that brilliant idea they have to be together is going to kill them both. It sure is. It's going to kill them both and cause nothing but trouble. All right. Well, 
Um, that is all we have. I, I just wanted to say that overall, I really loved this episode. I thought they did a great job with this. And after a slow start to the second half of season nine, I think they're totally back on track with this one. It was, it was amazing. Um, I, I really enjoyed the contrast between the seriousness of what was happening at Hilltop and the light hearted tone of most of the stuff with Ezekiel and Carol and Jerry, right? We had these two storylines going that had nothing in common. And one was like deadly serious and life and death and babies were being abandoned. And the other one was like people trying to make the world a better place by cracking jokes and funk killing zombies in slow motion and, and getting projector bulbs. It was awesome. I thought they did an amazing job balancing those two. I liked the kingdom storyline where they were attempting to get this bulb for this altruistic pur- purpose of bringing communities together. And it was worth, in my mind, after Ezekiel's speech, it was worth trying to accomplish this. The uh, The storyline with the whispers, I couldn't accept the threat of the whispers. It did not make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see them as a threat. I don't see them as a... Uh, uh, I can't take them seriously. They just look like a crazy cult to me. And uh, the trade is fine. Like, you know, trading prisoners, due to prisoner exchange, no problem. Uh, but I don't see them as a threat. So I didn't see that as a deadly serious situation. I saw that as, what? Why are they accepting these people as like something that needs to be dealt with in an urgent ma- fashion? It's like, shoo. Uh, <laughs> shoo. You know, we might leave, you know, let let her go in a little while, but go away. You're bothering me. Hmm. Uh, so I, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. It's just, I couldn't get on board with it. Right. I just, I don't accept them as a threat. So I didn't really enjoy that storyline. Uh, but the, uh, the, the kingdom stuff I thought was great. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting take you have on all this stuff because I just sort of automatically am open to the idea that they're, they're threatening. And I, and maybe part of it's because of comic reading and part of it is because I just think they're super weird and weird freaks me out, maybe. I don't know. Ah, they are no weirder than the garbage people, right? <sighs> yeah. I. The garbage people at least were threatening. That's true. The garbage, they were artists. They were artists. They had, I mean, they had better weapons, I think, anyways. They wanted guns, right? Back when guns yeah. were still a thing, but. They had a helipad. They had a helipad, yeah. And a huge garbage dump. You're right. I mean, they're definitely no weirder than them, but I don't know. I just. I, I feel like they're, they're, they're unpredictable at, you know, at, uh, at the worst. You don't know what the hell the whisperers might do. Yeah. A tank. I'd see them as a threat. Right. But we can't have another group with a tank. Jason. Yeah. We've already had a tank. We've so done you're, that. You're right. Been there, done well, that. And we've already had a helicopter and a van with cool wheels. And a bazooka. And a bazooka. <laughs> motorcycles. Yeah, I know. And an armored vehicle. So all we're left with is super weird. What are we, what, what's, what's left? Biplane? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Uh, mortars? Mortars. Anyways. They can get away with mortars. They, they're portable. They're man portable. Mm-hmm. You bring them, you carry them around and then you plunk them down and you start firing off a few mortars. You pick them up, you go somewhere else. I think the whispers could get away if they had a, a, you know, a couple of mortar teams. Okay. Well, I don't think they do. They've just got their crazy weird masks and. Bizarre. No, they've got a board with a nail in it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, um, the one other thing I thought they did a a good job here of is something that I've talked about as this season has has gone on. But again, 
a good balance of characters. Um, I'm really starting to get used to Connie um, and and uh, Kelly and Magna and all them. But also it was nice to see Enid again and Tammy and Earl mm-hmm. and Jerry and all the sort of secondary characters playing a big part, doing something important. Um, they've They've done a good job. They're back to doing a good job of balancing everybody out, I think. Yeah, so I didn't miss Rick. In no, this episode. that's the thing. I didn't miss Rick probably for the first time. The the you know Daryl doing all that stuff that would have been Rick's job a season or two ago didn't feel out of place to me this time. Yeah, so that's great. That's good news. I'm happy about that. All right. Well, that is going to do it for our recap of season nine, episode uh, eleven. Thank you so much for tuning in everyone we will be doing our uh feedback show later this week on thursday night so by all means send us in your feedback your thoughts your comments your questions about the show the episode i mean or or just anything we said here um uh, we'd love to get it and you can do that by visiting our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com clicking on send voicemail at the top and recording a message for us you can also send us email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.